Thanks so much for tuning into the EMS Pulse. Before we jump into this episode, we'd like to provide a little context and clarification for some of the things you will hear in this episode. Thank you to our listeners for your feedback. We are always looking for ways to improve, uh, and we greatly appreciate your input. So this episode talks about the University of Michigan EMS Club. This is a student-run organization on campus which engages students with EMS topics and exposes them to all things EMS. This is not a licensed EMS agency providing patient care. The HVA unit you will hear talked about, however, uh, unit 8170, is a BLS ambulance based at the hospital that is mostly staffed by University of Michigan students who are also licensed EMTs and employees of HVA. The work that is done by the EMS club is explicitly different than that of HVA 8170. Because 8170 is mostly staffed by University of Michigan student EMTs, there is some flexibility in scheduling. While this does include staffing the unit for special events such as football games and other things that happen around the city, these events are primarily staffed by HVA, Ann Arbor Fire, uh, and other agencies, and the addition of 8170 is much appreciated and greatly helpful. Lastly, the response times referred to in this episode are those of HVA and not of Ann Arbor Fire. Ann Arbor Fire is uh, explicitly different, uh, has their own um, primary response um, for the university campus and has their own response times, uh, and also has BLS transport capabilities. The fire department response times were not impacted by the addition of 8170. Lastly, a little backstory on BLS transports in Washtenaw Livingston County. So historically, this area has been an ALS-only transport system. As you can imagine, with fewer people entering EMS and fewer staying in EMS, staffing has become challenging, meaning there are fewer units on the road and fewer paramedics to staff those units. This is not unique to our area. As a result, and understandably so, priority calls are are assigned to the next available ALS unit and lower priority calls are being delayed um, for transport because our transporting ALS units are rerouted to um, those priority calls. As such, response times for transport units have been growing. This meant for first responding fire department units, they were waiting on scenes longer uh, than they ever had previously. As a result, several fire departments, including Chelsea Fire, Sio Fire, Ann Arbor City, uh, and now Brighton Area Fire, um, came to the, the MCA um, and basically proposed uh, started starting uh, BLS transport within the fire departments. Each of these departments were already licensed as BLS non-transporting agencies, uh, so this wasn't a huge stretch for them to start transporting. However, as can be expected with any major change to a system, this took a lot of work from the fire departments, from the MCA, from our ALS agencies, uh, and there still is work in progress uh, to sort of fine tune this and really optimize it for our system. Uh, 8170 uh, and the use of other HVA BLS units, uh, as well as Livingston County uh, EMS BLS units, uh, for first response is really a result of a lot of work by the MCA, by the fire departments, uh, by our ALS agencies, HVA and Livingston County, um, to shape this system for now uh, and for the future to care for our communities. So I hope this provides a bit of clarity as you listen to this fantastic episode. Uh, some really, really awesome work is being done uh, by the folks on this episode and within the University of Michigan EMS Club. 
uh, and I'm excited for you to hear more about what they're doing. As always, don't hesitate to reach out with feedback or with questions, or better yet, if you'd like to record an episode, we are always looking for people uh, with uh, new topics or new ideas uh, to entertain uh, and educate our audience. So sit back and enjoy this podcast. Thanks so much. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the EMS Pulse. Uh, my name is Nick Valentini. I am one of the fourth-year emergency medicine residents at the University of Michigan. And today, I'm super excited to be here with a group of representatives from the 8170 Project and the University of Michigan uh, EMS Club. Um, so we're excited to talk about a unique aspect of EMS here in Washington, uh, Livingston County. And before we dive in, uh, let's hear from our guests. Uh, my name is Mitchell Walsh. I'm a paramedic, also the Michigan EMS Club co-president and a fourth year undergrad here at uh, University of Michigan. Um, I'm Thomas. I'm an EMT as well. Um, I'm the VP of operations for the EMS Club, and I'm also a fourth year um, undergrad at University of Michigan. My name is Noor. I'm also an EMT here at Michigan, and I'm the VP of education for the EMS Club, and I'm a third year undergraduate. Wonderful. So um, I hope that uh, some of our listeners and some of our community members have interacted with the 8170 crews before. Um, but for those of you who might not know, uh, let's hear a little bit more about the project. Um, so the mission was uh, to respond to 911 calls within U of M's campus and the surrounding Ann Arbor areas. Uh, we were kind of inspired by other colleges that have this collegiate EMS system on campus and realizing that we don't really have that here on U of M. Also, we know that a lot of calls in Ann Arbor are uh, very easily treated by BLS and kind of minimizing response times as well as freeing up advanced life support units for more critical calls uh, within the surrounding county. We've been thankful to collaborate with HVA who provide us the ambulance, uh, but other than that, it's completely run by students for students. Uh, we handle the scheduling, we handle the staffing, and HVA is there to support us uh, through all of it. Cool, that's awesome. So um, folks who know me probably know that uh, I got my start in college EMS. Um, and I think I would have been pretty jealous of this setup. It, it sounds like you actually have a really unique partnership with, with our large transporting agency here. Um, but uh, one of the things that you said that I wanted to emphasize is, you know, student organization out there helping students. I think this was always one of the strong points of, of College EMS um, is being able to have folks that are going through the experience, but also there to help when some of those experiences might go awry. Um, and, you know, I think Ann Arbor is no, no stranger to uh, emergencies secondary to uh, college type events or athletic type events, but um, I think that you guys can really fill uh, a unique role. Um, so tell me a little bit about like, when did this start? When did you guys start transporting? So our AMS club, we founded it in 2020 during COVID. So it was a bit of a difficult start from the beginning and from there we've kind of all bounced ideas off of each other and we eventually well we've done um, cpr classes we've done an arcan initiative with the fraternities and eventually we've come to um, implementing 8170 which is a bls unit in ann arbor yeah so the uh 
the idea of them kind of brewing uh, starting summer of 2022, and then we had a trial run for like a month in December of 2022, and then we started uh, officially staffing the unit and transporting in January, the winter semester of 2023. Awesome, so coming up on about one year of transports, and I definitely want to talk more about that um, and some of the transport experiences that the, the crews have had. I, I did want to go back to something briefly. So you mentioned some of the other initiatives that you were doing on campus. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, so um, we started out with, um, or, well, on the educational side, we hold CPR classes through the American Heart Association, and we also teach Stop the Bleed classes on campus, and we're basically just trying to make people more aware of these basic life-saving initiatives that they can do without any equipment um, and implement those into the community. Um, we have also started a Narcan initiative with the fraternities, which is just a high-risk area in which we leave behind a Narcan kit um, in case there was an event of an opioid overdose. And just to brag about our stats for CPR class, so far 169 um, students certified in uh, American Heart Association BLS uh, Health Care BLS CPR um, since we started, I think, around the same time we started the ambulance, really. Wow, that's really awesome. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the big strengths of uh, an EMS organization like this is, is you can do more than than just, you know, 911 or, or interfacility transport. Like, this is uh, also a big role for advocacy, for public health, for uh, emergency preparedness, and you know, really kind of good preventative medicine. You guys know that I'm a total CPR nerd on the other side of, of the spectrum and, and, you know, I'm happy to see CPR training in any form. Um, so that's been that's been really awesome to hear. Um, I've heard comments from, you know, other members of the public and, and bystanders and, and other community members as well who have really appreciated that work. So, so I just also wanted to take a moment to recognize that and say thank you for the initiatives that you're doing on campus. Um, but so EMS-based podcast, so let's get back into uh, to some of this this uh, transport work. Yeah, so uh, we've done a lot over the past year, um, and it kind of more and more progressed as we kind of figured out uh, exactly what we wanted to do, the parameters we wanted to set, and um, exactly how we wanted to go about uh, getting approval to transport. Um, with that trial run in December, we were averaging maybe two calls a shift. Uh, but now that the fall semester is in full swing this year, we've definitely ramped up our, our transports, especially on the weekends. Total just rough estimate of, of calls that we've done. Uh, now we're at around 400 uh, 911 calls with a lot of those being transports uh, and those that aren't transports, either refusals or transfer to high level of care. Uh, and then in total, we also do um, some basic life support interfacility transports to help supplement uh, kind of the high capacity load that the ER sees here at U of M. And we do local transports uh, to facilities in Ann Arbor out of the ER as well. So in total, we've done uh, a little over 500 total runs on the unit. And also just put it into perspective, we we're talking about a uh, BLS unit staff about 20 to 30 hours a week. Um, that's running, I guess, part-time um, by students, um, uh, I guess, when they're not having classes. So sure. Been... 
that was always one of my biggest uh, kind of balance issues. Um, I think some of my friends from college would joke that I, I majored in EMS and minored in college. Um, hopefully not the same experience here, but I mean, this, this does require a fair amount of effort and, and uh, commitment and, and service to the organization. Does anyone want to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, so definitely staffing during school is difficult because we're all in classes. Uh, but what we see is students after classes, they're out and about, big Ann Arbor nightlife here on campus and in the surrounding Ann Arbor area. Um, and that's when we tend to staff the unit. We wanna staff in high demand uh, hours of the night uh, and sometimes in the day, depending on the day of week. Uh, and we'll also staff according to what's going on in the community as well. So if there's a big event happening in Ann Arbor, uh, things like that. But uh, we now require that uh, we, all of us who staff the ambulance, there's about uh, 15 of us, uh, we work at minimum two shifts a month and uh, our high capacity hours are typically between 5 p.m. and say, 3 a.m. But we all kind of put together teamwork and staff as much as possible to where we're getting this, you know, 30 and sometimes even 40 hours a week uh, running calls on campus. Yeah, certainly just from reviewing the call logs and, you know, kind of participating in some of the, uh, the QA, QI work, I can say that you're definitely doing a lot more than, than two calls a shift. Um, and, you know, from some of my in-hospital colleagues, I think you're going to get nothing but thanks when, when you say, hey, we're here to help with some of the, you know, inter-facility work as well. Um, anything to help with the, the capacity crunches that we're kind of seeing in, in most of our EDs nowadays is, is much appreciated. Um, but so I wanted to, to pivot a little bit and go back to something that you mentioned, that this is actually like a unique collaboration between um, HVA, Huron Valley Ambulance, and the, the University of Michigan, you know, EMS club organization. Um, and, you know, I think I've seen some examples of that before uh, in other college EMS services, but I was hoping that you could talk a little bit more about, you know, how that works. Yeah, so um, basically um, the three of us hold staffing and oversight privileges, but we are working in conjunction with our supervisors at HVA who kind of help us maintain the ambulance and staffing. Um, and what's really nice about working with HVA is that we are choosing from employees that have previous EMS experience because it is difficult to find college students age 18 to 20 that have experience from EMS. So it is nice to have um, employees who have worked with HVA and have experience with patients and working with other providers that can staff this ambulance and run VLS calls. That's awesome. Yeah, and are you seeing any of the opposite as well? So I think you know one of the other aims is um, you know, college students are still pretty undifferentiated in terms of like, hey, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? I certainly was, sometimes still am. Um, but you know, what what have you seen in terms of getting folks interested in, in EMS and in medicine? So branching off of the EMS club, we have all these, you know, different arms that have different stakes in the community. And one of the big things that we promote and have a great partnership with HVA is uh, the EMS education courses. So one of the things that we're doing now is actually registration for EMS courses for uh, this winter is coming up. We have it to where uh, we have a pre-registration link from HVA where 
a class or a size of a class is reserved for only U of M students to get that pre-registration, kind of get them in the door. Um, and also, you know, we have our meetings through EMS Club where we promote EMS every month. We have monthly speakers regarding emergency medicine, pre-hospital care, uh, paramedics come and talk. Uh, we've had med students come and talk, uh, but kind of getting interest into emergency medicine, emergency medical services, and the pre-hospital care field. Yeah, I think that's super important, especially nowadays. I mean, you know, I, I can't point to a single EMS agency that says, hey, we're fully staffed and we don't need any more help. Um, so anything that I think we can do to, you know, raise that awareness. And um, for, you know, for our listeners, we were joking before we started recording, but my line is, is college EMS is a trap, and, and it truly is. Um, I, I took an EMS class way back when just for uh, life skills, and, and here we are. Um, I mean, this all seems great. Uh, I, I will say that it, it can be kind of a, a challenge to implement a new project in any realm, in any environment, and I know that this is happening at a time where we're also trying to integrate uh, basic life support response into a community that has had uh, you know, only a single tier ALS response for a long time. So, so talk to me about that. Yeah, I think when we first started the Human Assembly, there has been some system cha uh, system challenges. Um, just because Washtenaw County has been a kind of historically a primarily ALS service, and uh, due to the the recent pandemic, you know, BLS implementation has kind of became a, I guess, progressive and reasonable approach um, to rising call volumes, multiple stressors on the EMS system. Again, due to the pandemic, and I think. Um, changes in any EMS system, uh, it's difficult, and I think and it's hard. And I, but I think that we've made progress in demonstrating um, our value as a campus organization um, and as professional responders. Um, we actually have gotten um, great feedback from our supervisors and leadership of HVA, and we've been recognized by a lot of campus leaders, and especially uh, Michigan Daily, which came out and uh, rode along with us and filmed a short documentary um, about 8170 and the um, at one of our shifts on Fridays. Um, so if you're interested, you can check it out in the link in the show notes. Um, but we have great experiences um, interacting with other first responders in our area and also medical colleagues in the ER. Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, I've, I've kind of been sort of on the sidelines for some of this BLS implementation, uh, but I think it's really filling a need here in the county, um, you know, as emergency medicine, as healthcare kind of faces a lot of different struggles. I mean, from my own experience in hospital, I, I've certainly seen some of the growing pains and, you know, some of my work has been in educating my in-hospital colleagues on, on, you know, the fact that there is actually, you know, a little bit of a, a tiered role in, in the pre-hospital world. Um, but I think that I've also seen, you know, a lot of longitudinal mentorships and even friendships kind of form as a result of this, uh, this kind of change in the system. You know, from my own perspective, I really like it when I see you guys bringing a patient into the ED. I feel like, um, you know, I can trust what you've done in the pre-hospital environment. And I think from your perspective, and, you know, I, I don't want to speak for you, but it's nice to have that that link to follow-up care and, and kind of, um, you know, uh, a little bit of, like, practice development as well. Um, you know, has there been anything that's, that's kind of been particularly impactful or any other, uh, you know, like, more, um, you know, positive or negative experiences that you've had? Um, yeah, so um, as college students, many of us don't fit the typical EMS provider profile. And personally, as a young female person of color, I've been presented with 
unique challenges that I definitely did not expect. And the first time ex I experienced this, I was kind of thrown off and stood to the, like on the sidelines. But what I've learned is that it's very important to be confident in our skills and treatments to kind of help break down these stereotypes and as new faces in EMS. And we kind of have to earn this respect. And this is also important, not just from the provider to provider aspect, but also for our patients. I think we can all agree that our patients have said to us at some point or another, you look young or you look like my grandchild. So being confident in our skills and knowledge is very important to also build rapport with our patients, which is also why we stress continued education and ongoing training. Yeah, I think it's always hard to, to balance that personal and professional role. I, you know, I think um, could certainly speak to some similar experiences, you know, walking into a scene as a, as a college student, as a new EMT, and, um, you know, really not being valued for what I could provide. Um, so I'm sorry that that's happened. You know, I would, I would hope that in an ideal system, we would have less of those experiences, but I think it's something that needs to be said and needs to be put out there. And, and I think as a, as a responder community, we should reflect on that and reflect on how to improve it. Um, you know, so I think we've had a good kind of overview of, you know, where this came from and what's been done so far and uh, some of the challenges that we've faced. Um, you know, is there anything else that you want to say about kind of the impact of the program um, or, you know, anything else that you really want to talk about? Yeah, definitely. Uh, one thing we have noticed is uh, response times with this unit uh, within the U of M campus and the surrounding Ann Arbor area, those response times have been significantly decreased because of, of having that ambulance right in the center of campus. Uh, often we're getting response times for 911 calls in like the sub seven, sub six minutes at this point. Um, and then also just going back and thanking a bunch of people for helping make this happen. It wouldn't be possible without them. Uh, Shane Flynn, he's a paramedic supervisor uh, with Huron Valley Ambulance. He's also our supervisor liaison uh, who deals with my constant uh, calls and text messages uh, every day of the week. Uh, Carl Rock, who's the vice president of uh, HVA, he's really pushed uh, for this to become a thing uh, with upper management. Uh, we'd also like to thank you, Nick, for being our uh, program advisor for 8170 and the role you take uh, with us uh, from a QAQI uh, perspective. And then also uh, Mike Kessler, who's a QA supervisor uh, at HVA as well, uh, who helps us with uh, some QAQI aspects as well. Yeah, I mean, I think a, a super talented, uh, dedicated group of folks, except, you know, maybe that Nick guy that you keep talking about. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, from my perspective, it's been great to work with the program. Um, I, I love the energy. I love the enthusiasm. I love the dedication to the role of being a pre-hospital professional, but also, you know, recognizing that you're trying to develop your own careers as, you know, as professionals, maybe in medicine, hopefully in medicine, but maybe in something else as well. Um, I think I had a lot of mentors that had a similar impact on me. So always just trying to, you know, push that forward and, and, uh, and give back a little bit. Um, so talk to me about what's coming down the pipeline. You know, what's, what's next for 8170? What's next for, for U of M EMS? Yeah, so one of the things we're trying to do is we're trying to implement a third rider program to provide students who are interested in EMS 
an opportunity to observe and learn about pre-hospital care and emergency systems. Um, many of the students that I've, from what I've noticed about talking about EMS in my experiences are unaware of what an EMT does. So our hope is that this will interest and engage individuals in EMS and hopefully encourage them to get EMT certified. Um, another big thing that we're doing is uh, a course called Mental Health First Aid. Uh, it's being led by uh, Matt Hartman, who's another supervisor at HVA. Um, and this is a course designed to teach fire and EMS members the differences between mental health disorders, how to approach and talk to people experiencing mental health challenges, uh, and sort of reducing the stigma through that knowledge and changing language, uh, how to take steps towards recovery from mental health challenges. Also, uh, one other thing as well is, uh, I'm a paramedic currently, but Thomas and Noor here are going to be paramedics in, in a couple weeks and a couple months, actually. So thinking about uh, how leadership will kind of change once that happens. Uh, however, we still want to kind of emphasize this servant leadership. Um, nobody is above BLS. Um, we're going to be out there still on the truck, uh, even as paramedics. Uh, we really want to work out in the field and we don't want to become, you know, detached from our own project by just kind of observing from a distance. I think super important. Yeah. You know, definitely want to encourage future generations and future leadership, but also, you know, remain close into to the day in and day out of, of what's going on with the project. But again, you know, I've, I've had a great time, um, you know, working with the group. I've been impressed with the, with the work that's been done and with some of actually the, the very high acuity care that's been provided. Um, so it's, it's been a real honor to be a, a part of the experience. Um, you know, I want to pivot one more time. I want to talk a little bit about, about you all personally. You know, I, I wanted to talk about 8170, but, but um, you know, what have you personally learned from this as well? Yeah, and reflecting from a program leader perspective, um, in the case of 8170, the biggest takeaway for me is when we are trying to make a change while navigating these challenges like we talked about, um, we really have to believe on our work and the impact that we'll have in the community while also at the same time advocating and recognizing our crew members for all of the services they're providing to the community. And, you know, myself, I learned how to become a better leader from Norm Mitchell. And um, I just, you know, I just want to put this out there. And it has been an incredible privilege for me to work with um, these young people who are courageous, devoted to duty, and are committed to protecting the leaders and best at their weakest moments. Yeah, and I just want to echo what Thomas stated. Um, and I said this earlier when talking about personal challenges, but I think what I've learned most from this program is to be confident with what you're passionate about, um, as that's how you're going to get these changes implemented in a lot of systems that don't want changes. So I think that's really important, and that's something that's been drilled into me through this program. Um, one of the most important things that I learned is, is how to get really good at planning with this project. Um, a fail to plan is a, is a plan to fail. It, it, it's, it's like my motto now. Back in 2020, when the EMS club was first started, uh, 8170 was kind of this thing that everybody wanted, but we thought we weren't going to be able to get. And now that it's happened, 
we're just so grateful that everything, all the plans and all these ideas and all these people have come together to make this happen. And once again, we have to shout out everybody at HVA who's made this happen and really pushed for this. Those with the Washtenaw Livingston Medical Control Authority uh, and also those at U of M who have supported us uh, through this journey that has taken us here today to our almost one year anniversary. Well, happy one year anniversary. And uh, what do you think is, is uh, happening next for, for all of you, uh, you know, on the, on the personal and the professional side? Yeah, I'm planning to go to medical school and I'm interested in becoming a physician scientist and pursuing an MD and PhD um, and then uh, performing translational research to um, advocate for patients and increase, um, I guess, uh, improve uh, patient care. We certainly do just a little bit of research here in Michigan, so I'm sure you'll be, uh, be a welcome addition. Um, yeah, and like you said, EMS is a trap, so I've also decided to pursue being a paramedic and I'm actually taking my final exam tomorrow, but on a more long-term goal, I'm also hoping to be a physician and be involved in EMS research and kind of continue what we've been doing for the younger generations as well. Uh, and very similar, but ultimate goal is medical school and hopefully an emergency medicine physician and still want to be involved in EMS. Obviously it is a trap. Uh, and uh, I probably will never leave it. Wonderful. Well, I'll look for all of you um, in, uh, you know, a future uh, EMS fellowship application coming all the way back full circle into the, into the pre-hospital realm. Um, but again, thank you all for taking the time today to talk about this, this project and the, the amazing work that you've done on campus. Um, for those listening, you know, another another uh, plea and another ask, um, if you're interested in contributing to the podcast, we're always looking for new perspectives. Um, we have a couple of exciting episodes coming up uh, with some of our other pre-hospital colleagues and some of um, my residency colleagues as well, uh, but feel free to give us a shout. Our contact information is in the show notes, um, and until the next episode, stay safe, and thank you again for your work in Washington, Livingston County.